You are now listening to the Superhero Education Podcast, featuring Professor Eugene Pitchford and Dr. Steve Gurner. We are real educators tackling the real topics in education. Listen to be informed, inspired, and entertained. With no further ado, here are your hosts to the Superhero Educators Podcast. All right, we want to welcome everyone to another edition of the Superhero Education Podcast. This is Eugene, and that is Steve Gurner. And we have another special edition of the Superhero Education Podcast. We have one of the best teachers in America, and you're going to find out why today. We have none other than the great Rachel Nelson. Dr. Gurner, take it from there. We are excited to have Rachel with us. I had Rachel as a education student, and I can tell you the first class, the first time I had her in class, the engagement she had, the questions she had, the rebellious nature she had, I knew right away she will be a superhero educator. And she separated herself from the rest of the students early on. And since then, Rachel's been a superhero educator, and she's got her master's, and she currently is in a doctoral program now. So we thought this would be a remarkable show to catch up with Rachel and talk about the gifts that she has in education and what she sees as some of the trends in education. So welcome, Rachel. Thank you. Thanks for having me. And um, I hope I live up to my introduction. You have no choice. (laughs) Well, when when we think of uh, a superhero educator, so we wrote the book Superhero Educator, and, and you, were, you were in the minds of us as we were going through the traits of what makes a superhero educator. So when you think of the gifts you have, what, what separates you from others? So it's, it's probably a difficult question because a lot of times we don't want to think about that. But as you look in education, you have some great gifts that make you transform students' lives. So what, what separates you? Oh, gosh. Well, I think before... I can even answer that question. I think we need to give a huge shout out to our superhero educators right now who are feeding our children and adapting to our new normal um, and providing for children who need, you know, their basic needs right now because our K-12 teachers are stepping up and taking all that on in our current climate. So it's hard to feel like a superhero when I'm not in the classroom right now and I don't have that outlet. Um, but I would say that just those things, right? Being willing to put your students in front of yourself um, and making sure that you have those real relationships and that you know where they're at in their lives um, and being willing to kind of take the time out of your day to make sure that they're okay. Now, uh, Rachel, I'm going to ask you a different way because you, you, that, was, that was a good response to Dr. Gurner, but, but I, I want to I know some specifics here. So as a new teacher coming in, like we all are probably in the same spot. Like we want to make sure we have uh, behavior plans down, lesson plans down, getting along with peers, having administration be okay with what we're doing in our class. And then at some point, you're probably sizing yourself up, not in a, like a weird way, but like, okay, am I the weak link at this school? Am I like kind of where the group is? Like, at what point did you realize you had something special going on that distinguished you from your peers? That's so funny. And it's reading your questions that you 
had prepared. It's, it's funny because you're not trained to think that way, right? But you're right. It's human nature. You're going to say, where am I at? You know, just like if you're on a sports team, you have to figure out kind of who, who am I ranking with? Yep. And I felt like in my education program, I had a really strong group of friends um, all in the same cohort and we were all the same. And we all had the same personalities, outgoing, you know, would be on the floor playing with the kids. If we went to like a kindergarten classroom, you know, you just sit right down on the floor, get after it. And I think we started to see a difference just then as a group of friends between the people who got it and the people who didn't. And the people who didn't were there just trying to make the perfect lesson plan. And I always wanted to say to them, what are you going to do with that perfect lesson plan when a kid throws up on the floor in front of you or cusses you out or, you know, X, Y, Z, there's a thousand things that could happen. But even when we saw our classmates kind of practice teaching, they would, you know, read off a script. Mm -hmm. And I had the best model. I had my mom for a teacher and she was so real and so real to me. Like I was a student once class started, so there was no special treatment. And so I got to see what that was like from you know a teacher side and a student side. So I knew right away what good teaching looked like. And as I continued along in my education program, I just knew, you know, there's no time for some of this junk because when you're really doing this, you know. I can't even say nine to five. It's like 6 a.m. to 7 p.m. When you're doing this 13 hours a day, you can't survive if you're trying to read off a script and be a robot. You just can't. It's awesome. So did it, you're competitive then, it seems like, right? So you're competitive. Just a touch. Yeah, <laughs> just a little bit. So is that something you can be taught? Can we, taught, can we teach young educators to be competitive or is that something you're just born with and you continue and that helps you become a better educator so that's so funny i was thinking about that too and can you teach how to be a good teacher i think what we can teach is how to be a good instructor you can teach and improve how to teach the lesson plan but i think so many of the intangibles either you get it or you don't. Um, that doesn't mean you can't still be a good teacher and that, you know, what our society uses as benchmarks, like, oh, my students scored well on the standardized test. And, you know, all of my parents have been emailed this week. The things that administration wants us to check off, you can be really good at that. But are those kids going to your room crying? Are they hugging you? Are, they make, are you the one that they want to see in the morning? Um, I think there's two different things going on there. So can we teach someone how to have passion and how to be an advocate for students? We can try, but I'll tell you just in my short time as a university supervisor, they don't all get it. So it sounds like you're saying, and I, I totally agree with you. It sounds like you're saying teaching is 50% of it. And then there's another 50% of everything else of being, um, being a counselor, being a, being a school parent, um, being culturally relevant, um, working on your weaknesses, whatever, whatever that may be, um, mm -hmm. managing phone calls, uh, yeah. school paperwork. I mean, the list goes on. And I think that that's a lot of the things that you're not told about, right? 
um, you can say it to people till you're blue in the face, but until you're on the phone with a parent and they're yelling at you and it's you, you don't know how you're going to react. And by no means am I saying I've been perfect because that's happened to me. And yeah. I, the first time a parent yelled at me on the phone, I was crying silently. So props to me, but silently. And I was just thinking, what am I doing? What, what's going on? You know? And so I think that you can prepare people as much as possible, but yes, there's a huge chunk to being a teacher that either you want to do it or you don't. And I think that the two of you have seen this as well. For three years, I was a teacher supervisor um, and a observer in Texas, and there were a ton of teachers close to retirement that I got to you know, observe in their classroom. And I can tell you after 30 years, some of them still did not get it, but they survived and they were great teachers, but there's so much more to it. Well, well, that's the thing. When I, when I look at, when I look at educators, whether they're, whether they're uh, teacher's assistants, teachers, assistant principals, principals, professors, you, you, regardless of the, the title, I, I look at, I tend to look at it as a group, I look at it as three groups, maybe four. A gr uh, one group is just a group that just struggles for whatever reason, just struggles. Mm -hmm. And then there's a group that's in the middle. Like they, they're not the best, they're not the worst. Then there's a group that gets it. And then there's a group of leaders. Yeah. And, and I, so many yeah. people get stuck like in this middle group of not the best, not the worst. And at times I honestly think this, and it's gonna sound horrible to say, at times, I think because that group is so large, I think the other groups are smaller collectively, but because yes. that one group is so large, sometimes I question, is there even a need or a desire or a person to really tell them you can make it to the next step? And, and we just accept this middle group. Yes. No, I, I agree with you. I really, I think that's a great example of kind of like a bell curve, but the middle sure. is it's so big. And I would argue in some cases, what's the motivation? Right. Why, well, why do I need to push it? You know, and, I've and been, who's going to make me, there's exactly. no one that's going to make me. I've been getting by and, and my kids like me enough. They listen to me or at least, you know, the, the good one I love, they're quiet. <laughs> oh God. So yeah. let's talk about that. What let's talk about that motivation piece. So you've you've seen it. So you've seen it as a student, a teacher, professor. Mm -hmm. What keeps you personally motivated? I just think I want to help as many young teachers and veteran teachers if they'll listen to me. I want them to understand that it's okay to question things and kind of my new philosophy is I'm almost like get angry about something you know and and again we're in this time in our nation's history where teachers are the glue and I hope we come out on the other side of this social you know experiment and people see oh teachers do so much for us um so the motivation for me is just passing it on and having had people that inspired me and if if not inspired me pissed me off enough to kind of light my fire and say no I'm gonna I'm gonna change things and I'm gonna be that person for someone in the future because um 
it's a lonely world out there sometimes. Um, obviously, I have the two of you now to talk about this with, and Dr. Gerner was with me since the beginning, but um, until I had Dr. Gerner, I did not feel like I was supported. I was actually told by professors that I talk too much, and that one professor told me, I hope you have a student like you someday, and I said, thanks, me too. So, <laughs> Wow. I want to apologize on the behalf of all professors for whoever said that to you, <laughs> that that's not how, that's not how we do business. So just for that aspect, but also you just inflated Gurner's ego, which is not a good thing either. <laughs> <laughs> I so, even had professors um, come to me complaining about her. Yeah. And I would have to say, you don't understand. She is very good. Rachel is an outstanding student. So you had to, you had actually had to advocate for our students, the yeah. good ones. And that's why I like your I, what you were laying out with the middle, because I think that's a really important picture for people to understand. I like the- uh, in, Dr. Garner. Let me hop in. Sure. So, so Rachel, I, I wanna look at, he talked about getting angry, being driven. There's also a what's next, a what's next aspect. And I'm sure we're gonna get to that a little bit later. But it's somewhat associated with the what, uh, what, what's next question. But what's one area where you can identify I me mean, like, you know what? I want to, I want to improve in this or make my mark in this, like something that either you're not doing right now or a space where you see improvement for yourself. Like what would be that, you know what? Let me, let me get some attention to this over here. So that's a great question. And I think what upsets me right now is the position I am in personally. And this is just, you know, you asked, so I'll answer. But it's frustrating because our education system is built on credentials. So I'm actually having to pause and transition out of K-12 education, even though I was a leader in that and worked at you know, a district level position, I'm attempting to transition into higher ed. So I, I, I feel like right now, my improvement is all about becoming you know, a scholar and taking in research and trying to begin to advocate for my pre-service teachers as a university supervisor. I hope to become an adjunct and I'm just trying to pick up any little thing I can to kind of transition into that higher ed. But honestly, no one in my own department's going to listen to me until I have those letters behind my name. Um, and so it's fascinating because I don't think I'm going to be that different of a person in two years, but once I get that stamp, right? The door is open. And so it's kind of fascinating how we credential ourselves in and out of um, authority in education. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes total sense. So as far as one specific thing, my research currently is focused on the impact of EdTPA on student teachers and how um, personally I feel, and I'm listening to my student teachers on this, that EdTPA robs them of a student teaching experience and they're so focused on completing a standardized test that they don't get to enjoy their students. So that's kind of where my um, passion lies right now 
okay. in re researching the impact of that specifically on my current university students. Gotcha. I think that's good research because what we're seeing is students don't want pre-service teachers don't want to be at certain placements because they're worried how they'll how they'll do on their ed tpa or how they'll mm -hmm. get their passing score on ed tpa or how the video will show on ed tpa and that's really dangerous for for us in education when we're when we're so limited by our placements and we want to just have this perfect experience whatever that looks like in their minds because of the ed tpa so i think that'll be some good research that people will be looking for there is so much out there in regard to manufacturing the video clips for ed tpa as in even if you do have excuse me a classroom that maybe ed tpa wouldn't like that teachers are bribing students that they are removing certain students for the day or saying oh johnny's sick today so let's film today and just it's so fake and we have to ask ourselves why we are a making them pay money to do this and b forcing them to manufacture what a stranger wants to see so it, it's been eye-opening having not done it myself i was actually one of the last classes um in the state of wisconsin did not have to do that for licensure it happened pretty quickly two or three years maybe after i graduated so having missed the experience thank god um i'm interested in learning about it through them that's, after you get done with that that'd be a great show to come back and talk about ed tpa and what and how that factors into our educational landscape i would love to yeah absolutely that's that's a very interesting concept because even like on a lower scale i'm not sure how much you know about this but myself i i have a track that i do dr garner has a track that he does and then we also combine them together when we go out to schools, probably similar to what you did um, when you had Garner, but we go out to schools, not for ed TPA, not for clinical, but we take students, whether you're in the school of ed, uh, whether whatever your major is, we just go to schools, see what the teachers are doing, uh, get some words of encouragement, uh, talk about college readiness, and just, just basically mentor the kids. You mean just be human? being human and like and we do it a lot we do it a lot but one thing that's always caught my attention and it's funny you said it but just in a different way there will be certain kids that are in the room when we start and automatically they just disappear and they often hide and i'm not sure if you were referring to this but they often hide the special education student wow and after the first time you kind of you kind of figure out the pattern yeah. and I, I remember telling some teachers Wait a minute, no, no, go get them. Like they need to hear this message. Like yeah. you don't take them away from the message. Like yeah. I'm an educator, I got a couple with me. Like we could work on the education side for engagement. I'm not gonna ask a nursing student to do that. Like we got that, but, but bring the kid back. Cause yeah. like we're really trying to change a life and touch a student to uh, maybe who thought they could never make it to college. But you'd be surprised. They do exactly what you just said they'll slip some kids out the back, out the back door. I then think you see them on the way yeah. out the building. Like, where did you go? Yeah, that, but that's, think of how early that's happening now, right? Why are we holding higher education up as this, 
I don't know, just, just this unobtainable thing when in reality, going back to our credentialism, it, you almost need a degree if you're not going to work an hourly job. But we're saying, oh no, even in middle school, like, like exactly what you're saying. No, but this student is designated with this label that we love to use or this label or, you know, their family or whatever we're putting on them because we, we label and that's one thing that alarms me with teacher education programs. We love to label. We love to put kids in boxes, use them as examples. But yeah, it's happening so much earlier, and that's scary to me. Yeah, you agree. I want to go back to because I I love the I love this idea for a T-shirt. You said get angry. That's <laughs> yes. a T-shirt right there. So why let's talk about that a little bit because i think that that really fits to your personality where you're able to thrive because it over around that theme or that concept so why should teachers i'm going to put that in quotes get angry so i think we've seen that over the especially past few years with um the fact that our teachers have to strike around the nation to get some recognition um every year where I am right now in North Carolina, the teachers shut down at least my county for the day by mandatory um, absences. They all put in for a sick day and force the county to shut down. Um, we're not allowed to have unions in my state, but there are some pretty heavy hitting teacher groups. Um, and, and they're getting angry, right? And they, a majority of them, understand what they're fighting for but i think just there are so many schools that don't have the resources they need there are so many teachers who are going to take jobs um not knowing what they're signing up for especially special education teachers um my goodness the disservice we're doing to those students and those teachers um I just think that once the school year starts, right? And we're all guilty of this. You put your head down and you focus on your students and your family. And then you look up and it's May again or June and you're angry and you're just like, I shouldn't have to do that every year. But once the school starts, your switch flips and you're on. Like it's just automatic. So I think if we did a better job communicating the frustrations to one another, and or creating critical thinkers in our next generation of teachers, there might be a possibility for us to make some change. I agree. The one thing Dr. Gurner and myself argue about, and it's kind of kind of involved with what you just said, is how do you how do you keep that strong focus on your students with the other things that's going on around you, whether it's and these are all things like a union or a group of people would fight for, whether it's pay, whether it's mm -hmm. resources, whether mm -hmm. you, you, you name it, you stick it in the box. How do you stay focused? Because here's, in my opinion, and me and Dr. Gurner argue about this over and over. Oh, I can't wait to hear the other side. Excellent. Well, well but maybe we agree. So we, we go through this weird thing of agreeing <laughs> and disagreeing. But, but how do you keep to focus on the kids who didn't sign up for none of it, right? Or who mm -hmm. can care less. How, how, how do we keep 
keep that focus just so that other stuff just doesn't take over? So I actually had an experience last year that I was in a super volatile administration situation. Um, as in, you didn't know if you're going to get the good principal or the bad principal that day. And I will say that just in talking to my coworkers last year, as I transitioned out of that school, um, the kids were their happy place. The classroom, when they got to shut the door, that was where they felt like they actually had autonomy. They could make the decisions. Um, so they all focused mind, you know, mindfully on the students to kind of shut that out. But I think when it comes to, you know, union issues and budgeting issues and not having the resources, I think there's also a way, and I've seen this done, that you can get parents involved. If it's a special education classroom, I've seen special education teachers email parents and invite them in and say, these are the things we should have and we're not getting funding. You need to start writing, you know, your local representatives and state representatives and I've seen it kind of both ways. You can use parents as advocates and tell them the truth, or you can just put on a happy face and maybe rely on medication. I don't know, self-medication. But I think that, yeah, there's so much going on on the outside so often. Um, personally, when I was going through personal issues, whatever that was, family, um, medical issues, I... I sought out time with my students and I closed my door and I turned on my teacher switch and it got me through, you know, it, their love and support and focusing on them got me through what I was going through. But um, yeah, sometimes you just can't do that. Can you be, you were just explaining about not having a supportive or maybe as effective administrator. Can you do what you need to do with, without an effective administrator? Yes. I think you can do it, but you might have to do it against the administrator in some cases. And then, you know, that begins to snowball as in, I might not get a reference. I might be blacklisted from the community and getting a different job. I mean, it can go on and on as far as what you're up against, depending on the administrator. Um, but I, I will say that you should not have to. That would be my message is you should never have to feel like you're not supported in being an advocate for your students with an administrator. Cause if you are, then something's wrong. Totally agree. And it's just, it's just, it's just interesting. And I just find this another, a different phenomenon to watch just, just to watch. And I'm not saying it's, it's good or not good or what have you, but I find it interesting. Maybe just because of the way I'm wired, the amount of people, and, and sure, because the administrator is your boss, to some degree, you need their approval. Like, we all need it. I need it. You need it. Dr. Garner needs it. But I find it interesting at the individuals who base their 100% success on the administrator or a test score. And it's just, sometimes it's hard for me to grasp because when I was new, when I was a brand new teacher, and maybe because I just was just, I don't want to say a renegade or, or things I didn't know, but I didn't want that person in my room. And it had nothing to do with any drama or anything. I felt that if you came around me 
I wasn't doing my job. So I'm going to just be the best teacher I can so you can focus on Dr. Gurner's room. You ain't got to come to mind. You're going to go to Dr. Gurner's room. So I based my success, and it had nothing to do with the administrator. And it's no disrespect to my administrator. It's just my mind state was just different back then. Like, and um, I, I try to tell younger teachers, just be good. Like, it'll shake out. Like, you don't, like a test score doesn't d- define you. Uh, your, your grade level unit, if you all are doing good collectively or not, it doesn't define you. Your principal doesn't define you. Getting along with the other peers doesn't define you. A bad parent conference doesn't define you. Yeah. Like, if you got good stuff, you got good stuff. Like, no one can take that away from you. And um, I don't know, you just, you just sent me there when you said that. So our new teachers, we have to remember, are children of No Child Left Behind. Sure. And, and so they are standardized, and that's how they function. So I think so often, if they're not getting data on themselves, they don't feel like they're getting information that they need. And I think that's seeping into education. So, sure. you know, if we, if we said, oh, well, like, we're not doing standardized testing anymore, and you just have to decide if they're learning or not, I think that there would be kind of a lot of lost sheep out there, not really sure how they're going to assess their students. When in reality, we could just say, you know, hey, they're happy, healthy, and we learned some things, and that was a fun year. Gotcha. That's that's a good reflective analysis of what, I, I never thought through that lens of their education and the standardized test and what we're seeing today. That That's really good. I have to think through that some more because I think that you're onto something there of how uh, their educational model looked and then when they're teachers, how they're repeating that that cycle. Well, you're getting a taste of it now. In many cases, with, with because of the virus, a lot of the second semester standardized tests aren't happening. Yeah. Yeah. I'm wondering what corporations are going to do. Actually, Dr. Gurner and I had mentioned this together. I have a feeling that a lot of our corporations are going to say, well, because we didn't do the end of your testing, we have to test at the beginning next year. Uh, just so they keep their quotas up so we can find out where they all are at the beginning and we can keep that remedial label on as many kids as possible for as long as possible. It's going, it's going to be a slippery, slippery slope. And I think what we need to do is look at how we are going to love our students in the fall and welcome them back with open arms and make sure that they are all happy and healthy and then start learning because until we do that, if they're met at the door with why didn't you do any of your work last year, you're going to set the whole school year off on the wrong foot. So I think there's a lot of implications as we look ahead uh, to how we need to be getting the word out to our educators on how to start the fall off the right way. Cause this is a very alarming time for our students too. They're scared too. Absolutely. Absolutely. I want to thank you, Rachel, first of all, for hopping onto the show and sharing your knowledge and you're much nicer than Dr. Garner. Uh, like we could definitely replace Dr. Garner um, with Rachel. Uh, well, thank you. She, she just said happy and healthy. And we went there. Happy and healthy. Hey, hey I'm happy and I'm healthy today. So, um, so we thank we thank Rachel first of all. And um, 
we always try to close the show out with anything anybody has going on, any products to push or anything, any big project. So I'm going to start off. Rachel, we're going to have you go last if you have any anything to push, like anything from a job standpoint or any projects you're working on. Um, I'll start off. Um, as always, Superhero Educator, the book is in stores right now. Amazon, Barnes & Noble. Uh, definitely want to uh, also bring everyone's attention to the book Gumbo for the Soul, Volume 3, yours truly, wrote Chapter 53. Dr. Gardner. Again, want to thank Rachel, Relentless Drive, advocate for all students. That's why she's a superhero educator. So we thank you again, Rachel. And great work's happening with the Center for Urban Education Ministries. Get connected. They're relentlessly strengthening urban education nationally. So get connected with the Center for Urban Education Ministries. And Rachel? I'd like to shout out um, anyone that's listening. If you have not yet donated to your local food pantry, they are in great need right now. Um, even in my little small town in North Carolina, the shelves are empty. So please just be aware of others in this time of need. If you can give something, please do. On that note, we want to thank the listeners out there for listening. We hope you are encouraged by Rachel's powerful words. And although we're going through a weird transition space of online learning, we still hope you have the very best week of education next week. So on that note, we're out. Have a great week. Thanks again for listening to our Superhero Education Podcast. We hope you gained valuable insights and key concepts to battle the chaos and save the day for all students. Boldly transform lives and be a superhero educator.